0: Sauron Revealed, Halbrand's Healing Miracle, Three Gemstones, and A Fool's Hope. Today I'm giving a lore breakdown, scene by scene, of Rings of Power Season 1 Finale. This final episode of Rings of Power is so packed with lore that I'm going to divvy up my breakdown into not one, not two, but three episodes. So stick with me for the next couple of days as we wander the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. As always, you'll find links in the show notes to purchase the books that I referenced in today's episode. And if you're feeling up to it, you can share some of your lambas with me by providing a financial donation to the show. You can do that at buymeacoffee.com slash L-O-T-R podcast. Again, that's buymeacoffee.com slash L-O-T-R podcast. Welcome. In the Lord of the Rings podcast, we wander the world of J.R.R. Tolkien by exploring the foundational epic stories from the deep past of Middle Earth. If you enjoyed Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, Or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth? Then listen and subscribe. Vagovangin, fellow wanderers! The season finale is titled, Alloyed. That leads me to question, what in this episode is being alloyed? To alloy means to mix, fuse, meld, blend, or unite. The clear interpretation of the title is the melding of Mithril to create rings, but I think there's a double meaning in that title, and we'll get to that in a later episode. This episode broke the pattern of the other episodes, in that sandwiched between the previously recap and the intro sequence, we had a little scene of the stranger. We're told that he's traveling in Erin Galen, or the Greenwood. This is the great forest that is on the east of the Misty Mountains and the River Anduin. This is the forest where Bilbo and the dwarves will pass through, Thranduil and Legolas will have a kingdom, and eventually Sauron will abide in the fortress Dol Guldor during the Third Age. The three cultists have caught up with the stranger, and surprise, they call him Lord Sauron. I had two simultaneous reactions. One was, wow, did not expect the stranger to be Sauron. And the other was, but what if they're mistaken? Either way, the mystery still felt unsettled to me, but I must say I was engaged from that moment on. After the intro sequence, we shift to Galadriel and Halbrand, and miracle of miracles, Halbrand is still alive. Although he's bent over double, Galadriel later claims that Halbrand was hit by an enemy lance, and they rode for six days. So immediately the enchantment I was feeling was broken, and I descended into willing suspension of disbelief. Here's why. Galadriel says it was an enemy lance that wounded Halbrand. However, Halbrand escapes the pre-volcano battle unscathed, so this would have come after the eruption, but the last we see of him is helping folks get to shelter, and then we don't see him again until he's in a tent and Galadriel says he needs elvish medicine. Something is missing to connect those dots in my mind, and maybe it's supposed to cast a cloud of mystery over Halbrand, where we can't trust his storyline. The other part is Galadriel claims they make the ride in six days, Okay, think about a reverse journey for the members of the Fellowship of the Ring. Instead of Moria to Mordor, go backwards from Mordor to Moria, more or less. So from the mountains on the west side of Moria and east of Anduin, Gladriel and Deathbed Halbrand rode all the way across the future kingdom of Gondor, the future kingdom of Rohan, and all the way past Isengard, and halfway to Rivendell. How far is that exactly? You may say, what a stupid question, what does it matter? Well, it mattered to Tolkien. This level of detail mattered so much that he would painstakingly calculate distances and travel speeds. He wasn't perfect, but he even went so far as to match the distances and time traveled with the phases of the moon. That level of thinking through the tiny details is what sets Tolkien's world apart. It makes the world feel real and enchants us by abiding by its own laws. Not so in Rings of Power. Gladrail and Halbrand make the ride in six days. It took the Fellowship nearly two months to travel roughly the same distance on foot, boat, and a little bit on horse. It's a three days ride on horseback between Helm's Deep and Isengard, let alone the entirety of Rohan and Gondor, and then more. So six days to ride with Halbrand on his deathbed? Sorry, I'm not buying that. Huge shout out to Karen Wynn Fonstad's The Atlas of Middle-Earth for all the detail on maps, distances, and pathways that the characters traveled. But okay, they're now in Eregion, where Killebrimbor is coming up with a plan B to save the elves. Do more with less, he says, and then, quote, The sun itself began as something no bigger than the palm of my hand. Let's examine that claim. The sun was created from a fruit of the tree Laurelin. Laurelin was the golden tree crafted by the Valar, which gave light to Middle-earth, along with Telperion, the silver tree. But Galadriel and Elrond are reunited. And by the way, I love seeing all the detail of Eregion. I just want to go walk around all those beautiful places and soak it all in. Again, the settings and the visuals of Rings of Power simply blow me away. But then, Halbrand is up and walking around again. It's so jarring. He's on his deathbed. Then he rides the distance to a faster than the Millennium Falcon can do the Kessel Run. Then he has Elven surgery. And he's up and walking around again like nothing happened. So at first I'm thinking, what the? Why is he moving around? But then again, the mystery surrounding Halbrand begins to thicken. He finds himself in Celebrimbor's workshop. The workshop is way cooler than I could have imagined. I loved the idea of the ceiling opening up to the light and all the cool contraptions Celebrimbor has lying around. Halbrand claims that the master he was apprenticed to used to speak of the wonder of Celebrimbor's craft. Halbrand has shown interest in metalwork before. He made steel and blades in Numenor. But who is this master that he speaks of? Knowing what we know now, could he be speaking of an immortal master, Aule or Morgoth? We know that Sauron followed after Aule, the Valar smith, before he was led into evil by Morgoth. Halbrand also shows a lot of interest in three gemstones, one blue, one red, and one white. These three stones are the stones that would later be incorporated into the three rings given to the elves. The blue stone is a sapphire, and represents the element of air or wind. This is significant because the High King of the Valar, Manwe, is the god of the wind, and the master of the great eagles. The red stone is a ruby and represents the element of fire. The white stone is adamant and represents water, but I think on the hand of its eventual ring-bearer also represents light, specifically the light of the stars. Celebrimbor says, quote, Feanor's jewelcraft managed to capture the essence of Valinor. He is referring specifically to the three Silmarils that Feanor created in Valinor. Here's a few lines from Tolkien's work called The Silmarillion. Quote, In that time were made those things that afterwards were most renowned of all the works of the elves, for Feanor, being come to his full might, was filled with a new thought. or it may be that some shadow of foreknowledge came to him of the doom that drew near, and he pondered how the light of the trees, the glory of the blessed realm, might be preserved imperishable. Then he began a long and secret labor, and he summoned all his lore and his power, and his subtle skill, and at the end of all he made the Silmarils. As three great jewels they were in form, but not until the end, not until the sun passes and the moon falls, shall it be known of what substance they were made. Like the crystal of diamonds it appeared, and yet was more strong than adamant, so that no violence could mar it or break it. And in Unfinished Tales we learn that Celebrimbor, quote, desired in his heart to rival the skill and fame of Fainor. Because of that ambition, Celebrimbor was susceptible to Sauron's teachings when Sauron came to the elves in the fair form of Anatar, and called himself the Lord of Gifts, which is exactly what Halbron refers to. After he gives Celebrimbor the idea to make an alloy, he says, call it a gift. We we'll leave the elves in their plight and return to the Numenorean storyline. Farazon is back in Numenor, saying the king is about to die. Quote, soon he will travel that road which makes an end of every man who walks it. It will be our duty to forge for him a tomb, granting him the immortality in stone that no man, not even a king, can attain in this life. Yes, this is the Fada Zone that we need to see. The Fada Zone that we see in the tale called Akalabeth in the Silmarillion is not merely interested in expanding Numenor's empire and trade capabilities. No, this is a mortal man filled with rage and resentment against all those who do not die. And that resentment will eventually lead him to challenge the Valar. Here's a paragraph from Appendix A in Return of the King, just to demonstrate the hubris of Farazon. The power and wealth of the Numenorians nonetheless continued to increase, but the years lessened as their fear of death grew, and their joy departed. Tar-Palantir attempted to amend the evil, but it was too late and there was rebellion and strife in Númenor. When he died, his nephew, leader of the rebellion, seized the scepter and became king Ar-Pharazon. Ar-Pharazon the Golden was the proudest and most powerful of all the kings, and no less than the kingship of the world was his desire. Alindil's daughter Eärendil is lucky enough to get an hour with the king in order to sketch his likeness, during which time the king wakes and mistakes Eärendil for Muriel and gives some final counsel. Quote, there is still time to mourn you. If the old ways of our people are not soon restored, our island will fall. Tar-Palantir has a gift of foresight, and he attempted to return Numenor to the ways of the Valar and the elves. He opens a seemingly secret door, and Aearian finds the Palantir that Miriel and Galadriel have looked into before. But he also has that weird moment where he says, quote, I know what you have been doing in the dark of night when you thought all eyes were asleep. I don't know what he means by that. But the first thing that came to my mind were the words of Wormtongue to Eowyn in Rohan in the Two Towers movie, quote, Who knows what you've spoken to the darkness in the bitter watches of the night, when all your life seems to shrink. Which is actually a line that Gandalf says to Eomer in the Houses of Healing in the Return of the King book, as Gandalf teaches Eomer of the important role that his sister played in Rohan. I don't know if there's an actual connection there, but that's where my mind went. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back.
1: Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
0: Back to A on we go, where Caleb Rimbor explains Elven Survival Plan C to King Gilgalad. My first reaction to this scene was wait, no reaction from Gilgalad that Galadriel is back? I know he makes that scathing remark halfway through the scene that Gladriel shouldn't be standing there. But I think to help the story flow, we could have had a five second scene where Gladriel walks in and Gilgalad makes this surprised and disgusted face, but before he can say a word, Gladriel says, I was born before the sun and moon, and I won't abandon Middle earth even in its darkest days, so sit down, my cousin's son. I really did appreciate Gilgalad's initial hesitation to the plan, though. Perilous words to channel so much power into one object and put on the brow of one being. I think it's fitting the various objects that are suggested and by whom. Elrond says a scepter because he's the rising star politician. Gladrail says a sword because she's still the vengeful elf. But Celebrimbor's suggestion is the most revealing. A crown, a symbol of power and royalty. He obviously hasn't heard that absolute power corrupts absolutely. But at least he has an engineering reason. An infinite arc reactor, brought to you by Iron Man. I mean, Mithril Man. But then, Celebrimbor starts to reveal his secrets by saying the quiet part out loud. He describes the alloy idea as the key that unlocked the dam, which makes Galadriel's ears prick up, because she was there the last time a key unlocked a dam. This power they are creating is not of the flesh, but over flesh, a power of the unseen world. These words mirror the words Adar used to describe Sauron's attempts, and he has no good explanation for how he came up with that description as he stammers and walks away. But Galadriel sees. She is starting to fit the puzzle together. A darker presence is at work here, and is that the work of Sauron himself? Okay, let's round out this portion of our lore breakdown with a discussion on hope. Gilgalad calls this effort a fool's hope and nothing more, which Elrond then quotes his own advice back at him. But a fool's hope. That is a key phrase in The Lord of the Rings. It's a fool's hope that sets all the events in motion that led to the downfall of Sauron. Before the Siege of Gondor, Pippin asked Gandalf, Is there any hope, for Frodo I mean, or at least mostly for Frodo? Gandalf put his hand on Pippin's head. There never was much hope, he answered. Just a fool's hope, as I have been told. Funny that he says this to Pippin, whom Gandalf has called fool of a took more than once. But maybe it's a fool's hope, thinking that Frodo could withstand the temptations of the One Ring and evade the searchings of the Eye in order to destroy the One Ring. Maybe Gandalf was a fool to believe that they could win against such despair and hate. It's a fool's hope, though, that is the best kind of hope. Because when the counsels of the wise fail, the walls of the strong fall, and the swords of the brave break, all that's left to us is a fool's hope that light will prevail. And sometimes, a fool's hope is all the hope we need. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at More of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost.